0: continue in worship with a reading from the Gospel of Luke. (laughs) Jesus unrolled the scroll and found the place where it was written. I'm backing up a little bit, Nina, sorry. The Spirit of the Lord is upon me because he has anointed me to bring good news to the poor. He has sent me to proclaim release to the captives and recovery of sight to the blind, to let the oppressed go free. Proclaim the year of the Lord's favor. And he rolled up the scroll and gave it back to the attendants and sat down, and the eyes of all the synagogue were fixed on him. And then he began to say to them, Today this scripture has been fulfilled in your hearing. And all spoke well of him and were amazed at the gracious words that came from his mouth. They said, Is not this Joseph's son? And he said to them, Doubtless you will quote to me this proverb Doctor, cure yourself. And you will say, Do hear also in your hometown the things that we have heard you did at Capernaum. And he said, Truly I tell you, no prophet is accepted in the prophet's hometown. But the truth is, there were many widows in Israel at the time of Elijah when the heavens were shut up three years and six months. And there was severe famine over all the land. And yet Elijah was sent to none of them except to the widow at Zarephath in Zidon. There were also many lepers in Israel at the time of the prophet Elisha, and none of them was cleansed except Naaman the Syrian. And when they heard this, all in the synagogue were filled with rage. They got up and drove him out of town, and they led him to the brow of a hill on which their town was built, so that they might hurl him off the cliff. But he passed through the midst of them and went on his way. This is the word of the Lord. Thanks be to God. Have a seat, everyone. Good morning, friends. Welcome to church. It's so good to be with you this morning after I was out last week. It's wonderful to be back and to see all your faces. Um, my name is Matthew. I'm the lead pastor here at Emmanuel. And um, if you're new here, I would love to get to meet you. Maybe afterwards we can say hi to one another. You can also, um, I believe as Jenny said, fill up the card in front of you and we'll get in touch with you this week. But it's good to have you here today uh, in God's house So last week, Jenny um, taught on the first part of this text, which I read the tail end of, which is um, Luke's description or definitive story about what the rest of his gospel is going to be about. Essentially, Jesus saying, this is why I'm here. And then the next uh, 17 or whatever so chapters, 21 chapters, I can't do math like that on the fly. What is it? What am I trying to do? Um, I'm a liberal arts guy. Anyway, um, the... uh, he's rolling out how he does this. How is Jesus the things that he says he is in this text, which is that Jesus is the telos. He's the point for which all things exist. He's the thing to which all things are pointing. The Old Testament, current history, all life is pointing towards him. That Jesus came and was empowered by the Holy Spirit, that the Holy Spirit is the animating and energizing force and power that allowed the work of Christ to happen on the earth and continues to be the animating force behind the work of Christ on the earth that Jesus came for the marginalized, and poor, the oppressed, to set them free, to liberate the captives. And finally, that Jesus came to, pr- pr- uh, to, to bring a year of jubilee. And this morning what we're going to do um, is we have an opportunity, I'm very excited about this, to hear uh, tangibly about what it means that Jesus came for the poor and for the marginalized. We have a tendency in the West uh, to spiritualize the gospel, to make it a set of personal beliefs with individual implications that it's something that happens to us and therefore maybe maybe collectively enough of us individuals can begin to bring about some change. But Jesus comes to say, I have come to bring good news to the poor, that this is why I'm here. That the gospel actually has uh, in its fiber, in its, uh, in its nature, something that's flesh and blood on the ground. In today's text, we hear that Jesus' first listeners of this message we were troubled by this idea that Jesus did not just come for them to tell them good things, but he'd actually come to expand the footprint of God's impact on the earth. In fact, you could even say from Jesus, uh, his teaching here in Luke 4, that what he comes to do is to come first to those who are outside of this audience, outside of affluence, outside of the religious, you know, religiously correct and instead came first and foremost for marginalized people, for people who maybe thought differently, people who believed differently, people who maybe even believed the wrong things. Or one way to think about it is this. In the spirit of Western supremacy, which we still live in today, which believes that essentially we have the right way of thinking about everything, we tend to hear the gospel and think that it's a word for us. And then we say, and isn't it great that it's also a word for all those outside of us? And Jesus comes to correct our thinking and says the gospel comes first to the oppressed and to those not in this room, to the marginalized around the room, and then also, because of grace, for us too. And so in this mind of Jesus, what we're going to do is we're going to hear today some stories about what it's like for the ministry of Jesus to the poor and the oppressed and the marginalized to continue on in our own day and and how that can call us to to something. So we have David Roth. I'm going to have him come up here in a second, but he's the director of Memorial Drive Ministries, a multi-use campus on, in Clarkston on Memorial Drive that's used by different communities of faith and different nonprofits in order to provide tangible needs and spiritual needs, emotional needs, uh, material needs to those who find themselves displaced from whatever place they're fleeing violence and political instability to our backyard in Clarkston just down the road. And David is the director of this campus that seeks to meet all of these various needs and so I asked David because uh, he's recently been doing something pretty cool. Which I'm excited to, for him to tell you about, for him to come and share today. So we're going to do something a little different. I'm going to have him coming up. Welcome, David. Would you welcome David Roth? <laughs> this is going to be so cool and casual. Just just a couple of very lanky people sitting on stools. Um, so let's see. Here's your mic. There you go. Thanks. So, David, um, first of all, welcome. Thanks. Glad to be here. I'm so glad <laughs> you're here. Thanks for the invitation. Yeah, of course. We're so glad you're here, too. Um, David, why don't you, I'd uh, love for you to begin by giving us just sort of the current landscape uh, globally for displaced peoples.
1: Sure. So, when we talk about displacement, uh, we're talking about people who have had to flee their home due to a fear of persecution. Uh, a fear of violence, a fear of danger. Um, Globally, uh, with some of the numbers, to give you some of the biggest kind of context to start with, and then we'll drill down to um, what it looks like here in Atlanta more locally, but um, globally there's about 84 million people who have been displaced. Uh, That's the highest number uh, in recorded history, and uh, as I go through some of these numbers, you'll hear me say the highest number in recorded history multiple times. 34, or excuse me, 35 million of that 84 million um, people who are displaced are children. So those who are displaced are uh, disproportionately women and children. Um, And also, I think it's important as Americans for us to note that since um, 2001 and the U.S. military went into Afghanistan, uh, the Brown University's cost of war project uh, estimates that about 55 9 million to 6 million Afghans have been displaced in that country. So 6 million uh, Afghans uh, displaced since 2001. So starting there um, with some of the kind of numbers helps get your kind of hands around globally what's going on. The other thing you might think to yourself, well, like maybe displacement's growing, but maybe the global population's growing even faster, so maybe it's not all that bad. But um, that would also be incorrect, unfortunately. So the, the percentage of people who are displaced... Uh, in the world is also accelerating to the point where now, um, for the first time again in recorded human history, um, over 1% of the human population on the globe is displaced. So mm. more than one out of every 100 people who live um, here on planet Earth uh, is displaced from their home due to fear of danger. So um, the picture that emerges is uh, that we as a human community are displacing one another faster than we're finding solutions for those who are displaced. Um, And that's really the heart of the crisis. Um, And that's a crisis that won't be solved without local communities that are committed to being a welcoming space for those who flee danger uh, and that have a track record of being able to build community in the midst of uh, diversity. So um, that's some of the global context. That's awesome.
0: So tell us about Clarkston. What's special about Clarkston?
1: Yeah, so I think Clarkston, which is just down the street, just um, right outside the perimeter at three o'clock, if you're looking at the perimeter, um, Clarkston has been the site of refugee resettlement for decades. So when we talk about refugee resettlement, this is um, a program that the U.S. operates um, to admit people who have fled persecution and violence and they can begin rebuilding their lives here in the U.S. So Clarkston has received and welcomed about 65,000 refugees since 1979. Uh, so now it's actually one of the most diverse square miles in all of America. Um, a lot of sites around the country that do refugee resettlement become kind of a a magnet for one people group, but Clarkson has kind of a super diversity of people um, from wars, again, since 1979. So everything from Vietnam, Bosnia, Kosovo, um, Ukraine, Congo, Somalia, Myanmar, um, Iraq, Afghanistan, Syria. So, so many um, people groups kind of in our, our backyard and in the neighborhoods around the Memorial Drive campus. So Clarkson's a really, really neat place Also, I'll uh, let you know, great food. So come eat in Clarkston (laughs) anytime you
0: can. Yeah. Yes. Um, uh, So what do you do? What's your 9 to 5 at at MDM?
1: Yeah, so I'm the director of Memorial Drive Ministries. So as Matthew was saying earlier, we're a shared campus, a shared space for about 14 different congregations, nonprofits, ministries, recreation groups, and community groups that are serving the diverse community of Clarkston, mostly resettled refugees, but um, anyone who's kind of in our... Our neighborhood and our area. So that looks like Sunday, worship in um, five or six different languages every Sunday. Uh, and then all throughout the week, things like English classes, civics education, after school programs, employment services, um, community gardening, children's ministry that's happening on our campus um, with our diverse community. So I'd say every week, um, probably at least 30 different language groups get represented on our campus just on a weekly basis. So it's a really um, dynamic place to get to do ministry and get to live in uh, that context. And as a director, um, my role is kind of vision and mission. So our, our vision is the end of disconnectedness for refugees in the diverse community of Clarkson. Part of what that means is war really separates, war fragments. People are living these transnational lives with connections um, back home, and we want to see kind of that disconnectedness dissolve and in its place kind of belonging. So that vision and mission piece, collaborative partnerships with our on-site partners, and then um, day-to-day management and fundraising also is part of my (laughs) my It's worth mentioning. (laughs) (laughs)
0: Always. (laughs) It's not my job
1: description, my performance eval, so I have to
0: to say it. (laughs) That's awesome. Um, So you had a really cool opportunity in December. Why don't you tell us about it?
1: Yeah, so um, back in probably October... um, as the kind of months after Kabul had fallen, um, I was on a, uh, a Teams meeting, so similar to Zoom, um, which we all spend all our time on these days. But um, I was on a meeting with a number of the resettlement agencies uh, that do this work of refugee resettlement, a lot of the nonprofit sector in Clarkston that is concerned about building um, a robust welcome for people who have fled violence. There are also government agencies Um, on that call. And the same way if you have invited someone to your house or you know someone's coming to visit you, there are certain things you might do to prepare for their arrival. So um, we had friends come over last night, you know, you like get the tea ready, you get the coffee ready, you like throw your kid's shoes under the couch quickly, like right, whatever it is to get ready for their arrival. Um, The same way you do that in your home, we're kind of doing that institutionally. So on this call with all these different representatives from the Clarkson community, we're trying to think about how do we you know, prepare for concrete welcome for these Afghans that we know will be arriving, not only in the coming months, but potentially in the coming years. Um, how do we kind of prepare for that? How do we prepare to be able to extend a welcome that they will be able to receive and that will feel hus- hospitable? Um, And the director of the International Rescue Committee, which is one of the resettlement agencies, um, part of what he articulated was that um, we're going to need to do a lot here, but actually given the uniqueness of this situation of the Afghan evacuation, um, a lot of, about 70,000 Afghans were evacuated from from Kabul and from Afghanistan. uh, And most of them were landing onto military bases here in the U.S. to kind of be further processed um, and live on the military base before they are um, getting traveled to a community like Clarkston where they can really begin to rebuild their lives. Um, And and this director of the IRC said, you know, there needs to be people who are familiar with refugee resettlement, who are used to working through interpreters, who can go and serve on one of these military bases on temporary assignment um, to get to welcome people there and help them get expectations. What's it going to feel like to get to a place like Clarkston or get to a place like, um, anywhere else in the U.S. that has uh, refugee resettlement. So um, that really fits kind of my understanding of my own voc- vocation, and um, the MDM board was, was really um, also supportive. My lovely wife, uh, who took care of our twins while I was gone, uh, was very supportive. So I was able to go to a military base um, in Virginia, uh outside richmond and get to serve in that capacity so helping um afghan families who are living on the base move through the process so that they could um again come to a place like clarkston and begin rebuilding their lives and, and hopefully be able to communicate to them in real time what can you expect what can you not expect um and doing a lot of that work through interpreters who we were working closely with
0: that's cool so uh, any like things stand out special moments special stories?
1: Yeah, I was thinking about this um, question as I prepared. So um, I was there from November 29th through December 29th. So if you think about that in the calendar, I was actually there the day after Advent started. I was there through Christmas, and then I left on December 29th, which there's a a more little-known feast day in the church calendar, but it's the Feast of the Holy Innocents, which is on December 28th which remembers the Holy Family's flight to Egypt um, when King Herod uh, massacres the infants of Bethlehem and the Holy Family escapes to Egypt. Um, And so, you know, walking as a person here at Emmanuel and kind of learning to follow the church calendar and paying attention to the themes of Advent while I was there, I mean, the themes of Advent are waiting and longing and preparing for the arrival of one who comes. And The Feast of the Holy Innocents is remembering God's solidarity with those who flee danger. Um, And so those themes were so resonant in the church calendar and just layered onto my experience in really, really profound ways. And um, I won't go into too many details because I think it's important to preserve people's kind of anonymity, but there was one family in particular I think a lot about that I had the privilege of meeting with, and I was going through their kind of placement counseling. We were excited to get to tell them the city they were going to be going to and I had kind of done my research to get to tell them as much as I could about the city and share with them about what their resettlement agency's um, name was, what they could expect when they get there from the airport, kind of through those first six months. Um, and they had a, a son, a little boy, um, again, who I I won't go into too much more than that. But he had, uh, I I could tell that he had he had suffered much in his life and um, was still had medical conditions that could not be adequately cared for on the military base, and he was going to need attention when he got to his final destination. And at the end of our, you know, meeting, I kind of asked the parents, you know, do you have any more questions? And he kind of tugged at his mom's sleeve and said, you know, in a language I didn't understand, but that was interpreted to me, you know, what about my condition? Um, I just think about that, again, that theme of waiting, like longing for, like, things to be made right. And um, that was such a big part of those months um, there on the base. It's just that waiting, that longing, um, and that hope for things to be kind of restored and, and made, made right. Um, and one other piece that kind of, I think is the, the yin to that yang a little bit, is that I, I had kept kind of everything work here at MDM and in Clarkson kind of at bay. I was in Virginia working quite long hours, and so I was not really doing both. But there was one event here in Clarkston. It was a Zoom call for resettlement agencies and um, the Afghan diaspora and the legal community serving them here in Clarkston. And I did want to get on that and just see, hear the latest kind of a what's happening here in our city. And so I hopped on that call. Um, and I just remember it was so, so deeply encouraging to hear that there were so many people who, again, were doing that work of preparing for welcome and who I knew were going to make sure that if that little boy got here, he was going to get the attention he needed, that there was going to be like providence for him, um, you know, in a tangible material way that mattered to him. Um, and that happens in Clarkston because of people who are doing great work and institutions that are doing really great work.
0: Mm. What's it, um, I mean, because of your long history working with displaced people, can you let us into the mindset? What are people who land on our shores and are suddenly what are they thinking, hoping, processing?
1: Yeah, so I kind of think about this under three headings most of the time. One is the trauma of dislocation. Um, One is the challenge of integration. And the last one's the hope of restoration. So people, again, who have fled, who have been displaced, they have not chosen to be where they are. They're they're not a tourist. They're not here for family ties. They're not here for education or a job. Um, They're here because they were pushed out um, through oftentimes combat exposure. Sometimes torture, sometimes sexual violence. Like they they have fled kind of horrors, and so there's a certain trauma there that has to be um, recognized and 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 cared for, and is a part of that story. I imagine many of you are not from Atlanta, um, and so you know what it's like to move to a new place um, and how difficult that can be. Even when you know the language, you intuit the culture. um, It can be you know kind of lowercase t traumatic to be in a new place and try to make new friends and how hard that is and so kind of layer on top of that experience um kind of trauma of a war zone plus um not knowing the language plus potentially the only job available to you being um maybe not what you had before uh and so and and maybe even on top of that kind of government agencies that are you know, to get food stamps or to get uh, Medicaid that allows you to get the health care you need. It's like a DMV office, right, to get some of those basics that help you and your family transition. Um, so a lot of that is a part of the process and part of what it feels like and what some of those challenges are and why relationships with people um, who are there to welcome and to walk alongside and just drink tea matters so, so much mm-hmm. um, to, to people who have arrived here. Um, and then that hope of restoration piece, also just to name. Um, again, if you if you've chosen to move somewhere, you might not be longing for home the same way as if you've if, if home has been taken from you. And so, a lot of times, we would even hear sometimes on the military base, people would say, "I just want to go back. I want to go back to Afghanistan." And you know, um, I I don't want to put words in people's mouths, but I I don't think they wanted to go back to Afghanistan. What they wanted was a return to where it was before, right? Mm to get back to the smell of the marketplace or the way the trees, bl- there's so much about a particular location that you can feel belong. I belong here and it belongs to me and um, to lose that's really, really tough. And so that's a long transition. And so people who feel at home here and can say, you know, like, I see the wind blow through the trees here. I know what the stars look like at night here. Like, let me show you how much I love my neighborhood and the geography here and get to invite people into that is a really powerful thing.
0: Hmm. Um, it's really beautiful. David, I um, one of the things uh, this one of the things I love so much about David, I've known I guess we've known each other for about four years now. Coming up from four years, yeah, I think that's right. Um, is that even though I've known David in different roles, like, his heart has always been particularly attuned to this, this nine need around us and has uh, through his heart and his vision, has, I think invited me and our team and everyone who gets to be around David to really see like that's what incarnation is. It's when you, it's when you um, enter into the skin of another person's experience. They're not a problem to be solved. they're a person to be known and I'm just so grateful for your heart. It's, um, it's changing my heart. Let, can you let us know what is uh, what this moment that we're living in right now? How is this particular moment um, like unique, maybe? Yeah, so um, I'm also thinking through, if
1: I'm being long-winded, cut me off or whatever we need to do. No, you're, like great, you're great. You're great. Um, yeah, so the particular moment we're in in, in particular, in relation to Afghanistan, in some ways it's not particular. So, um, the the needs of people who flee danger um, are the same, and in, in many ways everywhere. So, what's un, what's what's not unique is the the flight from persecution. That's something that's true from the Congo to Myanmar um, to what's happening in Afghanistan, and the resettlement system also. Um, to and what's happening in Clarkston is trying to provide for people, whether they're from Afghanistan or. Syria or Congo or Somalia or wherever. Um, so I think some things are are actually the same. I think what is unique and is worth mentioning, um, there is such a direct moral calculation in Afghanistan in particular that's really close to people's hearts, especially Americans. And um, that is worth naming, I think. So I had when I was in Virginia working with a couple of the other caseworkers who I was there with. You know, they were doing the same thing I was. We were walking to one of our assignments one day, and I just kind of asked, you know, like, what makes you a humanitarian? Um, one was the daughter of Pakistani immigrants. One was a dual citizen, Spain and U.S. So really different social locations. And I just wanted to you know hear what makes you a humanitarian, and um, all three of us kind of named like. 9/11 and the u.s involvement um, in the war on terror and um, the wars that stretched from Afghanistan Iraq Syria the Philippines Somalia Libya um, and the human toll of those those um, interventions and so all of us mm. felt compelled to do something to try to move that needle in the opposite direction um, and again that that moral calculation of like if someone has been an interpreter for the US government for the DoD for 10 years, and has been promised, you know, three years ago that they're going to get a visa, and then when the U.S. evacuates, that person gets left behind, like, for their family to potentially kind of fall prey to the Taliban. I mean, that doesn't take, like, a philosophical argument about, there's, like, a visceral moral reaction that says, that's wrong, that's unjust, like, something needs to be done to make that right, Um, and so that's, again, what, um, what we're hoping will not only be a kind of short-term evacuation. Like after um, Saigon fell in Vietnam um, decades ago, there was resettlement of hundreds of thousands of Vietnamese refugees for years and years and years. And I, I, I worry sometimes that the U.S. in this case, in Afghanistan, which was a longer war than Vietnam and displaced more people than Vietnam, will not we'll have a short term memory, we'll have amnesia and not meet our yeah. our our moral obligations. And so I think it's really important for Christians and for churches to be able to stand up in the public square and speak clearly about like, you no, know, this is a long-term, this is a long-term commitment to um, care for those who flee violence, especially when we have some direct connection to the people of that country. There's a belonging that exists between Americans and Afghans in a very direct way. Yeah.
0: Um, you no. Know, So, like, when it comes to justice, you just mentioned, like, there's, you know, there's something, there's global justice, which is, sometimes I think feels like, how does anyone ever begin to, but there's local justice, there's things that we can be advocating for, even in our own elections and stuff like that, what is that, how can we be advocating for justice for these people?
1: Yeah, that's a great question, and that's kind of where I wanted to go, also, kind of more local ways, um, so there's an event coming up um, on February 10th. Uh, every year there's what's called the New American Celebration. And this is kind of the advocacy day um, at the Capitol here in Georgia, where Georgians stand up and say, you know, Georgia loves refugees. Refugees and immigrants contribute to our state. They're part of our neighborhoods. They go to school with our kids. They're, they're people we care about. And we want to make sure that our state and the policy landscape is welcoming for these folks who are, again, our neighbors and our friends and people who have visited our Our homes and who we work alongside every day. Um, So mark your calendars. That is February 10th from 10 a.m. to 11 a.m. You can find out information on MDM's Facebook page. We like pinned that as the top post right now. um, It's a live stream, so you don't even you you don't have to go to the Capitol. You can live stream it. But your participation matters because those numbers people are at the Capitol are looking at how many people attend such events? Mm -hmm. Um, How many people care about this? How many people is that close to their heart? Um, And so that's a great opportunity to get involved. And I'll also just really celebrate, there's been a lot of work that has been incredibly inspiring over the last two and a half years here in Georgia. Um, There's been a bipartisan global talent study committee to figure out how to make Georgia's economy work for all Georgians, including those who are foreign-born, and that's been really powerful. One of the recommendations that's um, moving through the legislature here in Georgia right now is HB 932, which would make uh, Georgia public universities and colleges, um, like in-state tuition, available to refugees and Afghan allies from the day they arrive here, Um, which is huge. Like, that would make a difference to the families in Clarkson and to the families Um, that we're serving. And not only that, it would like definitely benefit the Georgian economy. (laughs) So it seems like a slam dunk. And um, so that's some of this activity that's going on now. And you can learn more about that at that um, New American
0: Celebration. And again,
1: you can find that information on MDM's Facebook
0: page. Awesome. So what about, um, are there practical things that we can be doing as a church? I know there actually is one opportunity, which we have some flyers on the table, but just tell us, how can we practically as Emmanuel be about this work?
1: Yeah. So As Matthew just mentioned, on your way out the door, there um, are flyers for our current uh, big push, which is a bedding in a bag. There it is Um, bedding in a bag donation drive. So, a lot of, especially Afghans, but really all the refugees who are arriving to Clarkston um, are arriving with really little to no luggage. Um, And so there's an organization called the Welcome Co-op that is responsible for outfitting their apartments and and getting the apartments ready for people to move into their first apartment in this first place in which they will live here in the US. Um, And part of that is uh, bedding. And the Welcome Co-op has reached out to MDM and said, you know, the biggest need we we have right now is for bedding in a bag. So like a fitted sheet, a flat sheet, a comforter, a pillowcase. Um, And you've all been to Target, and you see that huge bin of the, it's like a zipper that's a circle, a big plastic bag. (laughs) That's what we're talking about, Um, especially for twin and full mattresses. All the information for that is on that flyer. Um, The drop-off is going to be at our campus, uh, Memorial Drive Ministries, uh, on Saturday, February 12th, from 3.30 to 5.30. That's an awesome way uh, to, to get involved as a first step. Um, we also have volunteer opportunities on our campus, Refugee Family Literacy, which is a two-generation literacy program um, for refugee moms to be able to get out of their house, learn English in a place that provides child care, which is a huge barrier to English uh, class acquisition. Mm-hmm. Um, their kids are also getting early childhood ed, um, and they need a few volunteers um it's Monday through Thursday, 9 to 12 in their baby room. So if, if that speaks to your heart, holding holding babies and um, helping take care of babies, um, team at gmail.com. Reach out to them and they can give you more information as well. And I'll also just name in closing too, uh, uh, in, in response to that, so many of you are already uh, doing so much to care for Clarkston and care for refugees. I know a lot of you are already involved. Um, I really do think I'm pretty connected to a lot of churches that support MDM. And in terms of people who work at resettlement agencies and people who work at nonprofits, I mean, Emmanuel has a lot of people who are doing work in Clarkston and, and also a lot of people who are supporting MDM. Some of you just got a bunch of stuff off our Amazon wish list. Some of you are, are generous donors. Some of you are really great volunteers. So grateful for um, what y'all do.
0: That's awesome. If you're not able to make the February 12th drop off, but you want to do this, um, just bring them here, and we'll stuff them all in the one closet that's not being used for classrooms. And uh, we'll, <laughs> we'll figure out how to get them over there. Um, we want to be able to, to bless as many families as possible with, with bedding. Um, uh, so, okay, final question. We are, uh, we're entering the year of, of Luke, the Gospel of Luke, uh, which will be in and out of throughout the rest of the, the year up to Advent. Um, as what stands out to you about the gospel of Luke in connection to your work?
1: Yeah. So, um, a lot of what Jenny shared, uh, last week and that Matthew shared at the beginning of this week, I'm just going to be repeating a lot of that. But to me, the gospel of Luke is really the gospel of the great reversal. It's, uh, where the, the proud and the high are brought low and the humble and the poor are brought up. And I really take, um, As much as we're thinking about Jesus' announcement of his ministry as kind of the thesis statement for the book, I also think about Mary's Magnificat that way. She sings this song, you know, he has scattered the proud in the imagination of their hearts. He's lifted up the lowly. The rich he's sent away empty, but the hungry poor believe. Um, The the hungry are filled with good things. That song really, I think, is a theme that gets carried through the whole gospel of Luke. I'll I'll just read a a quote. I I might have taken some liberties with what Jenny, I was writing as Jenny shared some of this last week, but she said, Jesus came for the marginalized. Jesus came to reverse the system as it stands with the powerful at the top and the weak at the bottom. Jesus came to reverse that, to redemptively right side that so that God's self-giving love reorders all of our concerns and priorities so that we can serve one another rightly. So we have to ask ourselves, am I close to Jesus if I'm not close to the poor? Am I close to Jesus if I'm not proximate to the poor, the stranger, the oppressed, the outcast? Mm -hmm. And I love that because that short summary is both a proclamation of good news, it's a proclamation of something that's true that God has done, and then it asks us a kind of weighty moral question about how our lives might better stand in line with that kingdom of God. Mm -hmm. And um, I think that's the gospel. It's this proclamation of something God has done, and then a question about how we might live in the light of that. And so I'm so grateful to get to walk
0: through um, the gospel of Luke with you guys in the coming months. Amen. I want to pray for you, and then we'll take we'll we'll eat together. So if you feel comfortable doing this, which I hope you do, because uh, when we pray, we have agency. The Spirit is praying through us. So if you just even want to just extend your hands and bless David as we lay a hand of blessing on him and pray for him and His work, God, thank you so much for this um, brother, this person so close to your heart who has um, has been uh, your hands and feet among those most in need among us. Lord, thank you that we have the privilege of living among displaced people. Help us to have eyes to see and hearts that beat um, towards the needs of those, those tangible, relational, emotional needs um, in our own backyard. And God, help us to not be so preoccupied that we miss Um, that you are right among us, Lord, and you are among us in people who speak a different language, who wear a different dress, who eat different food, who have different customs, but who are human, flesh and blood, Lord. I pray for this man. I ask that you would please put your hand of blessing on him and everything he touches. And that God that MDM would be a, a, a place of refuge for those who are so desperately needing care, connection, Friendship, kinship, and an opportunity to resettle. God, we pray for all those who this morning are in waiting areas around the world and in our own country. We pray that you would quickly move them through bureaucracies and processes and get them into homes. And Father, we pray that we would always at Emmanuel be a physical extension of your welcome to those who are needing your love and needing, uh, Lord needing your welcome. So God, we thank you so much for the gift of hearing about these things. We thank you for the good work you are doing already, and we trust that you will continue to lead us in what it means to walk as your people in this way towards the marginalized, the oppressed, the outcast, the stranger. In Jesus' name, amen. 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 Thank you, Let's hear for David Roth. Thank you for coming. Thank you so much, brother. Hello, friends. This is Matthew, the lead pastor at Emanuel Anglican Church in East Atlanta. Thank you so much for listening to our podcast. We are disciples of Jesus who are seeking his kingdom and the flourishing of our neighbors. And if you want to find out more about Emmanuel and what's going on, just hop over to our website. The address is emmanuel that's with an I, emmanuelatlorg Thanks so much. God bless you. Grace and peace.